Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Every now and then, I have just the perfect interview happen. And when it happens, I can feel it when I'm doing an interview, and I want to share it with you. The odds are pretty high that you haven't heard this episode. So I worked with the team here to remaster the interview because it was one of the most popular, most impactful ones. And I'm re-releasing it as a special edition for you. This has a separate benefit for you because I'm using some of this time right now to finish the final edits on the brand new book about mitochondria. I'm about to tell you the name of it and where you can find information on it. But this book is so cool. It's got so many other things in it. I'm going to finish editing the chapters to meet my deadline. And I'm offering to you right now one of the most impactful interviews I've ever done. I think you'll really enjoy this. Today's cool fact of the day is women are subconsciously more charming when they're ovulating. In fact, and this is documented, strippers who are ovulating earn twice as much money as strippers who are either menstruating or are on birth control pills. So if you have a big interview or a big date coming up, you might want to try and schedule it when you're ovulating. This is actually an unfair advantage that only women can have, and it's just not fair. Uh, anyhow, it's also shown in a different study that your intelligence goes up if you're below average intelligence when you're ovulating, and it goes down if you're above average intelligence when you're ovulating. So go figure. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's guest on the show is none other than Jordan Harbinger, who's a co-founder of a really popular website called The Art of Charm. And their website, funny enough, is theartofcharm.com. And it's interesting because Jordan, you might consider him to be part of the pickup artist community, which is... Not something that made him smile when I said that, but it, there is this thing, and if you're, you're not familiar with this, there's a group of guys historically who've kind of hacked relationships to go out and basically, I'd say, take advantage of women. 
there's also a group of guys, one that I actually respect, who are like, all right, let's teach guys how to go out there and actually like be gentlemen and how to properly interact with women because honestly some of us like me when I was a teenager and in college didn't have a freaking clue so that's why I'm having Jordan on because Jordan uh, you've definitely had some uh, some positive impact on multiple people's lives people I know who are like I didn't understand what I was doing and I just needed to understand the ropes so welcome to the show thanks I appreciate it. I scheduled this while I was ovulating so hopefully my intelligence goes up uh, nice. Uh, actually, me too. And you also scheduled this when you're wearing some kind of dorky looking Stevie Wonder glasses. What's up with that? Yeah, this is it's not just my Red Charles costume, but um, these I got this idea from from you, obviously. And, you know, we're recording late at night. It's 930, something like that. I mean, it's actually past that. And I thought, you know what, if you're going to wear your blue blockers, I'm going to wear my blue blockers. The problem is yours look much better than mine. Mine are kind of like the Jackie Onassis version of of the blue blockers. And I'm also blocking some blue with this amber colored scotch. Nice. Bulletproof scotch. There you go. It's better than beer. Now, I'm going to show people who are watching on video what it actually looks like when I work in my office. I'm going to turn off the lights that I'm using for the video. And the other one. Bam. It just turned red, and I don't really wear my glasses at night. I just have red lights, which help with collagen synthesis. They make my skin look youthful. But uh, more importantly, um, you do that, and it tells your body it's nighttime even more so than just not having red light. So this is something Steve Folks and I talked about on the podcast earlier, and it's, it's actually remarkable what it does for you. But if I'm recording, I'm going to turn on the lights so you guys can see me, but that's kind of the story. So... Now you've seen both of us in our blue blockers. Excellent. And I figure, yeah, I've got to sleep after this, so let's do it. I'm, I'm not really hiding much here, you know, so people have seen me in a lot of other videos, and the show is, is fairly popular in iTunes, so people know a lot of stuff about me, and now they get to see me look like a dork with a shiny forehead and some big goggles. Nice. And you've got the nice headphones on. Like, like this okay. is totally cool. For people driving, you're going, what are these guys talking about? Bottom line is, we're cool. Right. So. Right. Even if we do say so ourselves. Yeah. Jordan, you've been kidnapped twice. True. What's up with that and what did you learn from it? Uh, it's That's interesting, you know, because the first time I got kidnapped, I was 20 years old. And what I learned from it was don't take everything at face value. Because what happened was, and I've talked about this on my show in detail, so I'll give you guys the short version, of course. What what happened was I was 20. I got into a cab in Mexico. turned out to be a guy who decided to take me to the ghetto of wherever. And, uh, I, I trusted my gut, which is probably the bigger lesson, uh, and didn't let him get out of the cab when I was at what, what people who investigate homicides typically call the secondary location, which (laughs) is where the person takes you, the proverbial place where no one can hear you scream. And uh, I didn't let him get out of the cab and we struggled before we fully got there. And then I was able to escape. And then the second time, uh, I was able to use some of the same stuff that we teach at the Art of Charm, rapport building skills um, and and basically getting people to like and trust you to provide an opportunity, create an opportunity in which me and my friend were able to escape. This was in Serbia, and uh, we were taken by some state security officers, which are basically just like corrupt militia guys from Bosnia that are now given immunity inside the state of Serbia, and they were totally fried on some sort of substance. So that told me that not only was this stuff great for dating purposes, but holy cow, this could save your life. And so before that, the Art of Charm was always much more than just like dating and relationships advice. But it, it, given your intro, there are so many guys out there that are like, pick up artists, pick up chicks. What we teach at the Art of Charm applies to men, women, married, single, and our clients are, you know, special forces all the way down to a guy coding JavaScript in a cubicle somewhere because everybody uses this stuff for different things. And at the core of it is always authenticity, honesty, integrity. And and that's really what it's all about. And it sounds funny saying that with with sunglasses on, but (laughs) you know, when in Rome, I have to double down on that. This is something I don't think I've, I've talked about too much. This stuff didn't always come naturally to me. In fact, I had the symptoms of like Asperger's syndrome and my brain didn't work very well. So when I realized it was important to understand like how to interact with others, I decided I would study it, but there wasn't the art of charm. So 
I used to go to the Stanford Barn, which is on the Stanford campus, and it's like this meeting place. So during the dot-com boom, every entrepreneur wanted to meet every other entrepreneur. So I'd go there like every Thursday night and just like – and I was, I'm sure I was like stiff as a board and I had no clue what I was doing. And I would just like force myself to network with all these entrepreneurs until I learned the game, until I became good at it, until I, I developed you know intuition and – probably more normal social skills, but it took like two years of like probably three Thursdays a month going and practicing. And it would have been really cool if there was like some way to RTFM and take a course because I totally would have signed up for it. Yeah. In fact, most of our clients are are in this because they want to get a girlfriend, get married and have kids. Very few guys sign up because they just want to play the field. And, and a lot of the guys that try to yeah. do that, we end up screening out because I don't really want somebody here if they're just like, I need to get phone numbers and get women to like me. I mean, that's such a small minded goal. Yeah. And it's it's really if you don't kind of get it, then I don't want you here in the same boot camp as a guy from the Mossad and the special forces, army rangers, green berets and special air service guys, because they're going to be like boot camp was great, except for this Yahoo in the corner who everybody wanted to strangle. So we do screen our clients pretty well. And the boot camp's residential, so it's not like you can go back to your hotel room at night and get away from somebody that's annoying you. You're with the person 24-6 during a six-day program. So, like, if you got one guy in there, the whole experience is ruined for everybody. So yeah. it, it's key. And it, it really is such – it's so much broader than that. You know, we have tons of women listening to the show, so it's very important to me that, that women go – Every guy needs the art of charm, not, oh, this is creepy and weird, and I don't, this is manipulative. We don't want that rep at all because it's, it couldn't be further from the truth. And honestly, I, I can say a, a lot of guys, uh, clients I've worked with, and just friends, some of them just don't have a clue about what to do to form a good relationship. It's not really the pickup, it, like you said, authenticity, integrity. So I actually admire what you guys do. Uh, from that perspective, I don't have any issue with it. I would not call myself, you know, a fan of the general PUA. You know, oh, how many? No. What's the ratio of girls you hit on to get a number at the bar tonight? Right. Like, that kind of stuff is is not what we're talking about, and it's actually kind of creepy, just like you're saying. So it's super creepy, yeah. Draw yeah. a big line in the sand there, because uh, yes. you know it's it's fascinating. I'm a big fan of Neil Strauss's writing about that because it's yeah. just too weird to not read. But it's not the life that I'd recommend for people want to kick ass. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. There, there's a lot of overlap in the audience, though, right? Because yeah. a lot of people who they go, oh, I want to learn to be really good with people, just like I want to learn to be really fit and really healthy. And they go, oh, there's this there's this way to learn to be better with people. And, and, and I'm going to learn this. And it just depends. It's like if you find the art of charm first, you're like, oh, great. If you find the art of charm after you find some of the pickup artist stuff, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is what I wanted all along. But it, if you go far down that pickup artist rabbit hole, you come out weirder than you were when you went in by by a factor <laughs> of about a thousand. So you got to be really careful because it's and you've probably you've talked about this on your show and and you know I've, I've seen you write about this. Toxic information going into your brain is just like drinking poison. I mean yep. you can you might as well suck down rubbing alcohol if you're going to start watching videos and of guys you know meeting girls dressed you know in speedos wearing rollerblades and stuff. That's bad for you. And you might think it's entertainment in the beginning. Rollerblades and Speedos? Dude, what do you watch? Hey, man, I live in, I live in freaking San Francisco. I just, Sorry. I drove through the Castro on the way here. That's actually guys picking up dudes in Rollerblades and Speedos, but I just, I just morphed the example to fit the conversation. But, uh, but it's very true. I mean, that stuff can really, can really poison your brain because then you don't really know what to believe. It's like getting bad health or bad fitness advice. You listen to enough people and you go – wait a minute, I'm supposed to eat 18 small meals a day because I've heard that in 18 different, 25 different places, it must be true. And then you just get frustrated and you give up on the whole thing and go eat a pizza. Yeah, it's it's true. Getting advice that doesn't work just makes you sort of throw your hands up and, and it actually sucks your willpower. And a, a lot of uh, the Bulletproof Diet is coming out is about willpower. And it just drives me nuts when bad advice just sucks all that energy out of someone that they could use for almost anything. But it, it's kind of funny that you mentioned kidnapping, or maybe I mentioned it to start, and then we got onto Neil Strauss because uh, one of the things in his other book, Emergency, I did an urban escape and evasion course. Oh, I did that too. Uh, oh, did you? Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it was amazing to get locked in a trunk and you know learn what to do when you're unlawfully detained in, yeah. in Serbia or not. But it, it is <laughs> empowering to be like, oh yeah, I I know how to I know how to handle that. It was, it was kind of cool. 
Yeah, well, it's funny because I had a, another Art of Charm student. He learned how to pick handcuffs because that was one of the things we learned at that course. Yeah. And you get really darn good at picking handcuffs, like behind your back while they're on you. Yeah. Making the lock pick out of a hairpin. Well, this guy, and I'll keep the story short, I swear to God, but he, he always had lock picks with him during the class. And we're like, listen, Batman, you can't bring your lock picks out <laughs> to the bar. And he's like, okay, fine. So we made him leave him at home one day. On the last day of our field work where we go out during the day and at night to sort of practice this stuff. And, of course, what does he do? He he finds a pair of pink furry handcuffs, handcuffs himself to a girl and goes, all right, guys, where's the key? Turns out they didn't belong to anyone. So the one day he doesn't bring his lockpicks for, like, the last decade is the one day where he handcuffs himself to, like, a 19-year-old Asian girl who's about five feet tall inside of a bar. <laughs> Bear in mind, this guy's, like, 45. So she's, like not stoked about it and they're like well we can't call the cops because this looks weird and so finally somebody brings a handcuff key one of the art of charm guys had a, a handcuff key back at headquarters for one of my pairs of handcuffs that i was practicing on for this course mm -hmm. brings it over and unlocks her but yeah i mean you just never know when you're gonna need to pick a pair of handcuffs uh it's uh, it, it's a funny skill and it's shocking how easy it is yeah it's yeah. really it makes me scared for cops one of my drawers over here, I have the pair that I practiced on after I finished that course, and it's probably in the back of the drawer somewhere, but I, I haven't done it in like three years, but it's it's a neat little party trick. Yeah, especially when you can build, you take a hairpin and you make the pick with the handcuffs and the pin while you're handcuffed. And and you, before people, if once you get really good at it, it's like before you're finished explaining what you're going to do, you're like, and here's a pair of handcuffs. Yeah, I, cops should definitely watch out for that. Yeah, no kidding. I bet they don't like that trick, though. Yeah, I hear that if you hand them their handcuffs, that you usually get to taste their nightstick. So yeah. it's just not a good plan. Don't and chase me, bro. Yeah, and like, do, don't do things to get handcuffed. It's just easier. Mm-hmm. So we talked about getting kidnapped, and we talked about some of the other cool stuff you've done. Um, what made you like who you are today? It's kind of a weird job you've got there. To be perfectly yeah, honest, yeah, it it is. How it started. Well, I, I went to law school and I had a summer internship at a law firm in New York. And the guy who hired me was never in the office. He was always out and about. I mean, this guy was from Brooklyn and he had a tan. What's wrong with this picture, right? So he was rumored to make more money than everyone else as well. And one of the things that I finally, he caught up with me and was like, or I rather I caught up with him and he said, let's go get coffee. And I think HR kind of like made him do it because he was quote unquote <laughs> my mentor, right? Which on Wall Street is like, Somebody required to pay attention to you once every three months for five minutes. So he said, ask me anything. And I'm I'm pretty sure he wanted me to ask him stuff about being a lawyer and real estate finance and blah, blah, blah. But what I asked him instead was, how come everyone says you make more money than everyone else, but you're never in the office? If it's all about billable hours, how do you make money? Because you're never here. Do you just work from home and why? And he reeled for one second and then said, actually, I, I work from home. Yeah, you see my stuff coming in on the BlackBerry when people still use those. But really what I'm doing is more valuable than what the other technical lawyers are doing. Because I noticed the other partners were there at like one o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. I'd walk in to get like a Coke, just drunk because we had a pantry. And I'm like, no one's going to be here, right? And sure enough, all the partners are in there cranking away. And I thought, Ugh, what's going on here? You know, they're closing deals, wrapping things up. Well, I, I told him that, and he goes, listen, technical skills are great. They're valuable. Those guys' job at the highest level of technical skill, they can bill probably a 1000 bucks an hour, maybe even close to that, billing, going through documents, doing a deal for an investment banker. But at the end of the day, their billable hours are what make them valuable. For me, I'm bringing in business to the firm. So I get a commission on that, and I can bill my time as a partner, but I can bill the time that I'm selling the deal to the firm itself, not to the client. So the firm literally pays him a bonus plus his normal salary, plus his billable hours, just for going out and making nice with tons of, of bankers and people that bring deals. So I thought, wait a minute, this changed the way I look at work because what this means is you can, not only at the bottom level does it matter who you know, because that's how I got the job there in the first place, but at the highest levels of this business, what you're telling me is, technical skill becomes even less valuable as I go up the ladder and people skills become even more valuable. So I sort of grafted in my head and I'm like, okay, in the early stages, technical skills don't matter because you're useless. You're an overpaid secretary as a lower associate. Then like five years in, it's all about your technical skills. 
because you're really, really useful as a lawyer, but you're still kind of cheap enough to the firm where they can make a ton of cash on you. And then as you become a partner, your technical skills are at their peak, but you're really kind of flatlined in terms of the money you make unless you're bringing in business to the firm. But most people can't do that because they're weirdos that have spent their entire last decade in an office filing briefs. So the guy who's out golfing, doing jujitsu, going on charity cruises, that's what this guy was literally doing. I remember he had a knee brace once and I was like, what happened? And he's like, I did jujitsu with a bunch of guys from Morgan Stanley on the weekends and stuff. And I'm thinking, you're going out and living and then you come back and go, oh yeah, I need a million dollar check for bringing in, you know, Bear Stearns biggest real estate deal of the decade, you know, to our law firm. And I thought, okay, I'm going to work on my networking skills. I'm going to work on my people skills because I don't want to be competing against all of these guys who don't care about their life and are willing to just throw it all away for billable hours and technical prowess, especially because people skills seem like more fun. And at the end of the day, they're more lucrative. And you know what happened a few months later? Well, a year and a few months later, the firm went under because it was heavily leveraged in real estate finance. He walked into another firm and he got a job as a partner. And I know that because the Sirius XM was in the same building as this other firm. And I was broadcasting professionally by then doing the art of charm on satellite radio. And so it was amazing because I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy walked out of there. Everybody else is in early retirement. And he walked in as a partner to another firm because he had a client book and a ton of friends. And that's what made me start The Art of Charm as a podcast in law school and later as a satellite radio show. And now, of course, again, as a podcast, because there's a lot of guys out there and girls that are busting their tail, learning how to be the best CPA around, learning how to be the greatest architect. And they're going, I graduated from a great school. How come I can't get a job? And then some Yahoo like me walks into the office and gets a job because I know the other guy's college roommate. And boom, my resume goes in a different pile and becomes a formality. You know, that sounds like the long version of it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yes. And it, there's something to be said for that, and you gotta know the basic what's. Uh, my career had some of that too. I've had you know, one mentor early on when I worked at 3Com, like what, one of the now dead networking companies that got bought by someone. Oh my God, someone. I remember 3Com. Yeah, I forgot who bought them, but like they actually were the company that brought the Palm Pilot, the first like real mobile device uh, yeah. out to market. And it was, it was this time where I'm like, what is this guy doing in IT? And frankly, why do all the other IT guys not like him? And it was yeah. because he didn't spend any time in IT. He was doing the same thing. And there's people who just know how to do this. And so I like followed him around for a year and learned more about, you know, how that side of the business happened. And that's why I ended up working as a product manager and a marketing person in Silicon Valley versus like being a hardcore network engineering geek, which yeah. I think would have been much less satisfying. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny you should bring up that specific example because honestly, it is it is people on the other side of the fence who either don't like the secret game being played or don't know about the secret game. If you're sitting there and you're going, I don't need to network when what I'm doing because blah, 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 you just don't know the secret game being played around you. And if you don't like it, it's because you're last picked for kickball most likely because a lot of people go, yeah, it's all about who you know. It's not what you know. That's a bunch of BS. I hate that. And you know what? I say... Thank goodness it's all about who you know, because now I don't have to be a guy who works 85 hours a week <laughs> grinding away at a technical skill, because if you're in a job that requires, even a billable hour centric job like a lawyer, if you have the people skills, people go, ah, you're now officially the exception to the billable hours rule, because you're the only guy who can sell the firm. And for your example, I met with a couple, a couple of my friends in Silicon Valley here. I live in San Francisco. They're biz dev guys, business development. Yep. And basically, these guys are really, really good networkers and front men that work in an office full of genius coders that can create amazing products but can't even look anyone in the eye to shake their hand. <laughs> and, and these guys are, are the lifeblood of a company because yeah. imagine a company like Dropbox making an amazing product and then the, somebody goes, well, what does your product do? And they're like, well, it allows us to cloud store, blah, 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 blah. And everyone's like, what? And then the, the biz dev guy goes, Imagine your hard drive is in the it's in space and you have <laughs> unlimited storage and you just drag things to it. And anytime you have an Internet connection, you use it just like it's connected to your computer and other people can use the same hard drive. So you can use my music and I can use my music just like we're in the same room. And they go, oh, my God, I totally need that for all the documents that we use at Google. How much is it? And you're like a billion dollars. And they're like, great, that would save us one point four billion dollars. I'll take it. 
you know, and guys like that, they network and they do these things all the time. The, one of the biz dev guys that I interviewed for The Art of Charm, he doubled his salary in two years because he got raises every freaking quarter because he just kept bringing in money. And eventually they refused to pay him more and he yep. left and started another company and started at that pay or started other company with people and he started higher than that doubled salary and he continues to double his salary because even the VCs that invest in his company are like, oh, fine, we'll pay you more because you're going to leave and we can't afford that. It, it's funny. It, for people who are running companies listening to the show, and, and there are there are several that I know of, uh, I think they all already know that, that you never stop paying the guys who produce the most. Uh, in fact, the reason that uh, Perot Systems, Ross Perot's company, was formed is because he, was, he did that at IBM. He like made his annual quota in a month. He's like, keep paying me. And they're like, no. And he's like, there's, you know, there's the door. See, uh, started yeah. a competing company that's, you know, been harassing them for 30 years now. Yeah. So yeah, don't, don't feed the enemy that way. Pay your good people. Yeah. You, you have to. And confidence is a skill. A lot of people are going great. So I don't have people skills. I wasn't born with this. Thanks a lot for rubbing it in my face. And what we do at AOC at the art of charm, our job is to teach emotional intelligence and quote unquote people skills, not just networking not just dating, but people skills, emotional intelligence in a way that anybody can learn and master. So you can come in and say, I just got divorced and I've otherwise been coding, you know, Python, whatever, in a cubicle for a decade. What, I mean, what do I do? And we can come in and say, okay, let's fix your nonverbal communication, your body language, let's teach you how to read it in others. Let's teach you proper eye contact, vocal tonality. And I don't just mean really basic stuff. We can teach that, but some of the guys that come in, like the special forces guys, those are commanding presences. They're here because they want to get, they want to be able to humanize, humanize themselves yeah. to an enemy, you know, really get people to like and trust them, lead people quite possibly to their death by being charismatic enough to generate a strong connection. That's, that's the same skill set tuned to 11 instead of, you know, four. So one of the things that, that intrigues me here is you talk about training confidence or building confidence. I mean, is confidence a learned skill at all, or, or yes. is it something that's an integral part of, of you? No, that's, that's a great question, and that's the thing is nobody's born with it, and sometimes people go, well, that's not true because I know young people that, you know, my brother was always confident growing up, and now he still is. Well, here's the thing. Some people are born into environments or create environments around them at younger ages where confidence makes sense. And so we take our mindsets largely from, of course, ourselves, but also external circumstances. So if you're young and you you love reading science fiction and you don't like going outside to play because you're smaller than the other kids, you're going to grow up feeling like, wow, social interaction is kind of painful because you got bullied you know, you, you don't like it. Being alone makes you feel safe, that type of thing. And then you get out into the working world where it matters who you know, and you're like, oh, I don't want to have to get to know new people all the time. I want to isolate and code by myself and plug in headphones and work in an office with a few people or work from home. That's because of, of course, there's some genetic aspects to this, but most of it is environment. Now, on the other hand, you might have had a brother who was half a foot taller than you and weighed 50 pounds more, and he was really good at sports. I mean, just pretty much everything he tried, he nailed it. He wasn't that great in school, but it didn't matter because we don't prize that as kids in America. We prize athletic prowess, and so he became the coolest kid. Everybody wanted to be his friend, and so he started getting used to social interactions, parties, girls, attention from the opposite sex, you know, put it dealing with authority in the way that only he knew how, which was like, whatever, bro, I'm cool everywhere else. I don't care if the third grade teacher thinks I'm a troublemaker. That guy turned out to be pretty damn confident because none of the pain of social interaction is associated. He doesn't associate any of that stuff, right? And so even though you grew up in the same house, you had vastly different feedback as a kid. And that's what creates those complexes because a little emotional wound or a little emotional seed as a young person grows into an entirely complex different set of beliefs as an adult and as a young person for that matter as well. And, and one of the things that we will teach at The Art of Charm is your beliefs influence your actions, which influence your results. So you can't just, it's like the pickup guys, you can't just pretend to be this cool guy and then suddenly everybody likes you and treats you differently because you don't believe it. You'll self-sabotage. It won't work. 
But if we can change your mindsets to something that is working for you, your body language, all those nonverbals will naturally fall into place and that will influence your results. And then what happens then is people start treating you differently and then you go, oh, maybe I am this confident, charismatic guy. And after a lot of habits are ingrained, a lot of things are internalized, people start treating you a lot differently and therefore you start living the part, you start acting the part and your mindset changes to where that identity level shift happens where you're like, oh, you know, I might be kind of like a core geek, but I'm not an insecure core geek because you've addressed the problem. No one else sees you that way anymore. So you stop, eventually, if you let it go, you stop seeing yourself that way too. And this isn't just like woo woo, you know, meditate on this grasshopper. There's science that shows our physiology changes the way people react to us just as well as it changes our mindsets. And of course that our mindsets are what program our physiology. So we work on manually addressing mindsets, physiology, and of course giving you a lot of exposure to the ways that those things change. And that's what boot camp is. It's just constant drill and exposure to stimuli that are probably pretty terrifying and videotape it and go over the tape with you and say, this is what you look like when you're talking to a stranger. This is how you sound when you're trying to convince somebody of something you don't believe in. And we do that enough for six days and it will change your mindsets. I mean, you, you everybody breaks, right? I mean, <laughs> that, that's it's not something we say at AOC, but we should. The, the power of feedback, uh, whether it's from a tech gadget or whether it's just from a system like that, it, it's amazing. Um, I taught at the University of California for several nights a week for like four or five years. And so I've, I've got tons of time. I'm just not nervous in front of a crowd. Cause like once you've given enough lectures, you're like, you know, I've, I've given a lecture with my zipper down, whatever. Like it just doesn't yeah. matter. On right? purpose, no less. Right. And that's how you lost your job at the university. <laughs> well, so I thought I was good and I'd done a lot of keynote work. And then I trained with this guy, Jerry Weissman, uh, who wrote in one of the major books about this, exactly the same process you're talking about, but what you do on stage. And this guy's, you know, ruthless video camera and, you know, every little thing like, oh, no, do that. No, eye contact. And I thought I was pretty good. And this guy completely upped my game. It took four days and it was just for what you do on stage. And honestly, some of the reason that I'm successful today is because I learned how to project my energy and I, I learned how to calm down. And, you know, there's a whole anxiety thing that I don't have anymore. But that feedback loop is what really just took me from like pretty good to like, you know, I'm, I'm pleased with how I present now. Like I, I honestly know that I'm going to go out there. I'm going to like deliver real value to the audience. So doing that rather than on stage, but just in one-on-one -on -one is actually, it's kind of brilliant. And it's something that, that I think is of value. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is something that you can't really get anywhere else and people go, Oh, I'll just, you know, I'll ask my sister about this. And it's like, listen, man, you had your whole life to ask your sister about this. And, and that's the other thing is it's really hard for people to give feedback that aren't trained because yeah. you don't know what you respond to. You know, a lot of people go, you know, what kind of girls do you like? And you're like, you know, tall or pretty short ones that are curvy, but thin. We don't really know. But when we see it, we're like, oh, yeah, that. And it's the same thing when you're talking about in training somebody for this. You know, you can get a lot of a lot of people will give feedback like, you know, I just want somebody that's going to. Well, I'll give a dating example for that matter. I, I asked my mom when I was younger how to, you know, meet girls. And she was like, just be really nice and, you know, compliment her clothes and tell her, you know, she looks pretty and stuff like that. And you can imagine how well that worked with girls that didn't like me already. I mean, that was epic fail and really embarrassing. She didn't tell me because she wanted to point and laugh. This is my own mom. She she told me that because if she already liked me, which she, you know, she liked, she, she was teaching me how to be a good boyfriend or a good husband. She wasn't teaching me how to attract somebody. These mechanisms are just starting to be uncovered even by, even by modern science, how these things work. I mean, there's, there's all these scientific studies that come out and our, our AOC alumni send them to us all the time. And the joke is, the running joke is, and science gets 1% closer to doing, knowing what we knew at boot camp two years ago or whatever, because it's like, oh, when somebody walks this way and they look confident, they're more attractive and people follow them as a leader and this leadership trait is attractive in the opposite sex and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, yeah, people who study AOC principles, concepts, read body language, know stuff about, that's kind of a given. And when we see it for ourselves, it's like, oh yeah, duh. But if you try to mimic it and you don't have the mindset right, 
people go, oh, that guy's a tryhard. And it's like, well, what's yeah. the difference between the tryhard and the naturally confident guy? They might look 99% the same. There's some nuance there that's not matching. And that's what we train you to develop. Because I can't train you to fake it. I can train you to develop it in yourself. But I can't just give it to you. If I could, you and I would be having this conversation on my jet. Nice. It, it's the whole authenticity and integrity thing. And uh, I, I believe you can pick that up in other people. You have to be very, very skilled as a, as a con artist to get around that. And basically, you need to be a little bit of a sociopath. Yeah, yeah. If you're a sociopath, yeah. that's one of the things we screen for at AOC. Because yeah. if you're a sociopath, you'll pick stuff up on like the first and second day. And then we go, oh, wow, that's not good. You know, because if you're picking up stuff that quickly, chances are you shouldn't be there in the first place because if you can perfectly mimic and fake everything there's pretty there's like a 99 percent chance you're not going to use it you're going to be up to no good because that's what sociopaths do i, I interviewed one on my show he was a, a narcissistic psychopath and he just he it was funny because he said things like oh you know i'm glad to be on your show and then i'd make a joke and it's like oh that's funny and at the end of the show on the recording i was like so those things that you were saying what were you, you were saying that because you knew that's what I wanted to hear. He goes, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I told you I wouldn't lie to you. Yes. I know that you want to, you want me to laugh at things and I will laugh exactly what I'm supposed to laugh. And I will tell you exactly what you want to hear because the result I want is I want you to share this show because you think it's good. And I want you to make, you want, I want you to increase my image because it feeds my ego. And that's the only thing that I care about. And I was like, damn i need a shower that's creepy that's and scary it's so scary and he was very open so props to him he's literally a narcissistic psychopath that is just like i mean he just he just tells people exactly what they want and and the thing is you look at it and you go man he gets great results with this it's just like but you can't do it because as soon as you or i try to tell somebody something we know is just patently bs just to get a certain type of results and where we know it's going to hurt their feelings, this thing in the back of our mind kicks up and, and screws it all up for us because we don't really want to do this because it makes us feel like crap. But for him, he just goes, suckers, I'm getting exactly <laughs> what I want. These people are so easy. He told us on the show, he's like, humans are toys. So we have to really make sure that this is based in authenticity and integrity because if not, you just run such a risk of doing things that are unhealthy for yourself. Because getting what you want is not always really good for you. And that sounds like a cliche, but sometimes we need to work on ourselves and not work on actually getting what we want. And that's sort of the premise of the whole show, right? Well, yeah, some of the – it's sort of a cliche example, but you know, if you ask a farmer what he, what he wants 100 years ago, he's like, I want bigger horses. You know, like, actually, maybe not. You'd have to feed them. Wouldn't a tractor be a little bit more interesting? But he didn't think of that. So sometimes doing the work, you know, chopping the wood, carrying the water kind of thing teaches you a few things. So there's value. There's value in work. Yeah. Uh, and there's also value in chainsaws. So you got to find the balance. Yeah. So I'm still a little skeptical that you can really train confidence other than sure. through, like, a feedback method like that. Like, are there exercises you can share on the show for people to, I don't know, have better nonverbal communication, more confidence, sure. like, like yeah. throw, throw out some knowledge here. People want to hear it. Yeah, it, it absolutely, by the way, it is, it is absolutely a feedback system. All we can do are give you the tools, run you through countless drills so that some of this stuff starts to get internalized, start to build habits with you so that when you leave, you continue to work on it. And we give a lot of support coaching after the fact as well, because no, you won't come into a week-long program and come out being like, da -da, I'm totally a new man. You'll feel great and you'll continue to move forward, but you can't you can't learn confidence because of the process of un. It's really a process of unlearning a lot of crap that you've picked up over the last you know 35 years or however old you are when you come in. It's not just adding layers on your personality. It's a subtractive process not an additive process. So that unfortunately takes a lot longer and it's a lot more work and you have to be very open or it's just not going to happen if you want to come in and learn some tricks. But I do have some cool drills that I can teach in, in this format as well. And so one of the things that people fail to realize 
is that first impressions are not made when you decide to make them. First impressions are made when you become a blip on someone else's radar. And I'll put it in a dating context because I think it's easy and it's fun for a lot of the guys listening and, and the girls as well because they'll identify. So girls are sitting at the bar, three of them or four of them or whatever, and they're hanging out, they're having fun, and then a group of guys walks in. Now, the guys, the girls turn around and see the guys walk in because they're often, women are very aware of who's in their environment. They've evolved that way. It's a safety concern as well as a, as a sexual reproductive concern. So the guys are hanging out and the guys go, wow, those girls are cute. And then the guys go, all right. The average guy says, all right, let's grab drinks and hang out. So they go and they grab some drinks. They, they check out the girls again or whatever. They go back to the table where they get it. They're watching some basketball, hanging out. And then couple of the girls go to the bathroom and one or two of them stay at the bar. And then by that time, the guy's had a drink or two and he walks up to them and says, hey, what are you guys drinking? And, and they're just like, oh, hey, and they're maybe polite, but not very open or forthright about it. Um, or maybe they're even rude about it. And the guy goes, oh, women are really tough. Well, here's the problem. Your, his first impression was not made when he decided that he had enough liquid courage and he was going to sort of sack up and walk over there and make it happen. His first impression happened when he walked into the bar with his hands in his pockets or slouched or whatever, or some sort of negative, or even just a neutral first impression, not good nor bad. But then he waited a while. The girls saw him looking over in their direction, not doing anything, pretending to watch basketball, having a couple of drinks. So by the time he came over there, they had already kind of decided, oh, we're less interested in this guy. He doesn't really have the sort of boldness that maybe we're going to naturally be attracted to. Now, maybe they don't realize this. This happened subconsciously. But the first impression was made when he became a blip on their radar, not when he decided, all right, now's the time to make my move or whatever. That's, and that's a common misconception. Your first impression is generally made right when you walk into a room because that's generally when you become a blip on other people's radar. And this works in business as well. Any context where you're making a first impression, which is generally every time you meet new people. So one of the drills that we give that I love to give is – Every time you walk through a doorway for the next, let's say, arbitrarily two weeks, because what we're trying to do here is plant the seeds for a habit. Straighten up your body. So straighten up your spine, chin up, chest out. Not exaggerated like, you know, Wah! but like shoulders back. Yeah, none of that. Yeah, exactly. But just <laughs> upright, confident posture, string pulling up, you know, your head as well as down your spine. It's, it's a really confident posture. Chin up, smile on your face is a really important part of this drill because it makes you open and engaging. And so if you do that every time you walk through a doorway, and I don't mean when you're at work, I don't mean, I mean even in your own house, your bedroom door, your bathroom door, your front door, if you're doing this when no one else is looking, it starts to change your physiology, it becomes a habit, and then next time you walk into Starbucks and you see somebody that you're interested in or a business contact, you've already got your posture, your smile, you're already aligned properly, literally, not, not chakras or whatever, but your spine is literally aligned. You look great. You look confident. You look open. You've got a smile on your face. This is engaging. You're no longer thinking about it because if you're trying to put on a great first impression by thinking about it, you're going to be so non-present and not in the moment. You're going to have to micro-process every aspect of your nonverbal communication, which is one, impossible, and two, certainly makes it really weird to hold a conversation with somebody who's only thinking about that because they're on another planet and it's weird. So if you can master those nonverbals, just make them an internal process, not only are people going to start, you're going to start feeling different, of course, but people are going to start treating you differently. And that's the beginning of the positive feedback loop that we're trying to create when it comes to nonverbal communication. Imagine if somebody, if everybody started treating you as a confident, upright sort of positive guy, you're going to start to feel a lot differently than you would if you walked in slouch, invisible, scrumpled up into a little ball. I mean, physiology is so huge. Now, if you want to take that to another level after that, after you get that down, most people are terrible at eye contact. And we videotape people at the Art of Charm at our boot camps and our workshops. We actually, we say, okay, how do you think your eye contact was during that interaction? And they're like, it was great. It was solid. It was spot on. And we go, let's go to the videotape looking at the floor, looking at the hand, looking at something else, looking out the window. And people are always consistently surprised by how they don't smile and how they have terrible, terrible eye contact. And so when we can fix that, you start to become much more engaging, much more present and much more charismatic because that's really just the combination of those factors. So the way that we work on this, because a lot of people go, uh, eye contact is really scary. And I, I agree. It can be very scary, especially if you're used to 
looking at the floor when you walk and not looking people in the eye. So we say, all right, after you've got the nonverbal thing down, look everybody in the eye for the next couple weeks, again, just long enough to notice their eye color. And so what this does is it takes the pressure off of, you know, look everyone in the eye. Because then you, you either do one of two things. You go, uh, this is really scary, and you get weird anxiety that makes you do silly things or just lose focus because you're trying to make eye contact. And or you do the death stare when people are trying to be, like, too intense and they're trying to be intimidating and they, like, look right at you and they're looking through you because they're trying to make good eye contact. That's also really creepy and, and really sort of incongruent for most people. So it's, yeah. it's bad. It's not good. It's probably even worse than having poor eye contact or, or, or up there. I had to work on my death stare. I'm 6'4". I've always been either fat or muscular or some combination of the above. Right. So you're already like the biggest guy in the room and everyone knows you could probably kick their ass by sitting on them. So that plus a death stare really wasn't a very good combination for me, but I, I don't think I have the death star anymore. But yeah, yeah it's uh, it, it's a legitimate thing. And without feedback, how would you ever know any of this? And that's that's why this is fascinating to me. But I, I want to know, do you ever get people who are in permanent or semi-permanent long-term relationships who go through Art of Charm? You know, guys with girlfriends, guys with wives? Yeah, all the time. Actually, around 30-plus percent of our clients either are in long-term committed relationships and or married and so oh, I shouldn't say or married. I, mean, I was going to say one's a subset of the other. <laughs> You're in San Francisco, all that poly thing. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and so those guys will come through because a lot of people go, oh, I don't need this. I'm married. But then there's that other subset of guys that go, I need this because I'm married. Yeah. And my argument is if you're married and you think you don't need this, I'm thinking, so let me get this straight. Since you're now in the most important relationship that you've ever been in in your whole life, now you don't need relationship skills because somebody signed a piece of paper. It's kind of like, mm, let's look at the divorce rate and see what the success rate is of this piece of paper holding you together. I think you need it more when you're in a committed relationship because your communication matters more. The things you're going to teach your kids matter more. Um, it's not just about like meeting girls on the internet or something like that or at bars and clubs. It's such a, it's more of a communication skill set. So yeah, actually around a third of our clients are, are in relationships, married, wanting to put this stuff into practice both in their relationship and or their business. And that's really where this stuff shines is because if you're in any kind of role, sales, like sales role or even just selling yourself because people buy you, right, inside work and outside work. Nobody buys a product. They buy you. Even if you're a developer, you're still in sales, whether you know it or not. Like yeah. whether people take your proposal for writing a new API seriously or not, it's sales. And it's just easier for some people because they have the skills or because they grew up that way. Uh, and that was something that was kind of hard for me to learn. Like the the best tech rarely wins. Yes. The, the best tech that could be explained by someone coherently in a way that made other people with money want to do something always wins. Exactly. I mean, think about it. Look at look at something like Windows, right? And not to pick on that, but like Linux is just obviously so much, so superior. And yet, why does everybody run Windows? Well, at some point, and I know some tech guys are gonna email me and be like, this is wrong, but at some point, they were just better at selling that, that dish, right? They were just really, really good at getting that into people's hands and being like, look how easy this is. Linux is actually easier, it doesn't break as much. I mean, there's a million things that are better about it, but Windows is the dominant OS. Even with Mac OS out there, it's dominant by far. And that's because somewhere somebody was able to, and part of the rise of Apple is because people go, hey, look how awesome and easy this is to use. And it, it's so intuitive that it sells itself. But you have to do that to, about yourself, to yourself, to your product. I go to these, these conferences all the time and people have awesome apps. And I tell them, you know what? This is so great. It's too bad you're going to fail because nobody's ever going to find out about this because you needed 58 minutes to tell me how this thing worked and it's totally going to be life-changing. This other guy has a thing that does what yours does, maybe 10% of it, and it doesn't even do that part as well. But he told me in 30 seconds, and so now I want it in 30 seconds. If it takes you 30 seconds to close somebody to get that little app and it takes you 58 minutes to close somebody to get that big app, you're going to lose. I mean, it's just not going to happen. And people buy you. They don't buy your product. They don't buy your service. They buy you. People buy 
things because they like and trust you. They can relate to you. That and anybody who hires anybody at their place of work knows. And there's even they call this the in consulting and in Wall Street they call it. I think it's like the airport rule. And what it is is, it, it after, all things being equal, right? Because you're looking at someone's resume and you're like, eh, they're they're qualified. They're over the medium bar of qualification for whatever position this is. The real question and the reason that they take you out for meals. And the reason that they have you talk to multiple people at any given firm or company is because they want to know if you're going to get along with them. And the airport rule is this. If it, it basically all other things being equal, which they usually are, if you're going to hire somebody, especially for consulting, they ask themselves this question. Can I stand this person if I'm stuck on a layover with them for 12 hours? And if the answer is no, you're not getting hired, even if you have a sterling resume, because they know that nobody's gonna wanna work with you. And when you're in consulting or law or any position that's that's high level professional, you're working 12, 14 plus hour days with those people. And if there's somebody there that everyone hates, it screws up everything and costs millions of dollars in lost productivity, damages, all kinds of stuff. They, they've, they've measured this and they just won't hire you. It, no amount of money, no amount of brilliance you bring to the table is worth having you there if people don't like you. And so they'll test that. Yeah, and that's uh, one of those things that maybe they teach you in consulting land, but most people don't don't know that until they're pretty far along in their careers if they ever figure it out. Right. Yeah. And if it, you start hiring yeah. people, you know it. Before that, you just wonder why you're not getting jobs. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly right. Now, I, there's another question for you though. I mean, you don't you don't take women on, right? No, it's it's for guys yeah. only, and and, okay. and the reason for that is. And you know this just because you know a lot of guys and, and I'm also, you know, we're the same way, I'm sure, at least at some level. If I'm having you come in and I'm saying, tell me how you got to where you are now, and I mean the bad stuff and share it with everybody and learn how to be vulnerable for the sake of learning communication, you might do that with a bunch of brothers that you trust after hours and hours and hours. But if you throw one girl in there, even if she's, even if it's my maid cleaning up my kitchen during boot camp, we will pause because the guy will go, well, you know, when I was little, my parents didn't pay a lot of attention to me. And then his glance goes right over to her because he's self-conscious. And it's really, really hard to be vulnerable as a guy. And oh, it's yeah. basically impossible. If there's a female in the room, it's evolutionary. We're not wired for this. We don't like doing this. And so we don't need to make that any harder. And, and of course, the other things are things that make men charismatic, confident, attractive. They don't all directly translate to women. So we have separate classes for women. You, you we have do. separate coaches. Yeah, we do. They're not boot camps that are residential. They're different. Um, but we found what works. We found the magic formula for guys. It's not that we don't coach women at all. We just don't have week-long residential boot camps for them. And I was going to ask about that because the skills are different. And I, I know they have old fashioned charm schools for women. Uh, yeah. I don't think that's probably going to actually teach charm, but you might like no. put on lipstick, but I have no idea what they do with those schools, like I, serve I tea either. or something. But yeah. like, like what would, what would be different for a woman who's like, all right, I need to work on my social skills. Like, yeah. like what would the, what would the differences be between what a guy would learn and what a, a woman would learn? A lot of it overlaps. And of course the confidence and things like that, but it depends on what the social skills are going to be used for. So for dating, Unfortunately, the skills for women are completely different than they are for men. In a business environment, they're largely the same. And unfortunately, that's a sort of byproduct of women needing to take on sort of a larger, more masculine role in a corporate workplace. But unfortunately, that, that's where women have all these issues because it conflicts a lot with the identity, the identity that they might have at home. And those things can start to interfere. It's really hard for board of directors mom to come home and be nurturing wife or nurturing mother sometimes it's it's a balance and people who are listening who are doing that successfully know just how hard that is as guys we don't really think about it because we can be tough guy at work and then we come home and we're a softy with our kids but we're basically the same guy with the volume turned down a lot a lot of the time and so the skills for women really really depend for women they're much more adaptive right it's much more all right, what do I need to give this person in this situation? What, who do I need to be right now? And it's more about choosing your role in a given situation for women than, than for men. 
for men, we kind of know, okay, I need to be nice to this person because they're a kid and they're going to cry or this employee only responds to this. But for women, they have to know, all right, I'm in the workplace. Does this person need a foot in their butt or do they need a little bit of handholding and nurturing? Because women are really uniquely suited to, to be more adaptable than men are in these roles. You know, if, if you're a mid-level or high-level manager as a female, you might go to your younger employees and really show them, hey, listen, I care about your development and your career. I'm, gonna, I'm here to nurture you and also here to crack the whip when necessary. That's a skill that women really should work on developing is knowing what role to be at at any given time. And, and they're usually really good at it. It's really challenging. I don't envy that at all. I think that's probably really, really hard. And if you get it wrong, everybody thinks, Psh, oh, she's such a hard ass. She wants to be a man. And the, or, oh, why can't she be, you know, more more tough? I mean, she this she's not cut out to be in this kind of workplace. This is for tough people. So it's really kind of lose-lose uh, for a, a lot of women, in the, either in the workplace or, or both at home in, in the workplace if they're trying to balance that. So the skills are much different for women. Or they're much similar for women, but it's about when to use them is what the question then becomes. Does that make sense? I know that's kind of a weird answer to that question. I, I think it makes great sense. Um, and I've, I've always found if I want to get stuff done in a, a meeting uh, in corporate America, I love having at least one woman in the room because the guys tend to do a lot less chest thumping and all that. Yes. But I also know a bunch of women who really don't have a lot of social skills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's probably because I've worked in Silicon Valley for so long. And it, it's like clearly social skills training is just fundamentally different for men and women. And there's got to be an overlap on the Venn diagram. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just trying to put myself uh, in their shoes. And it's hard to do because I'm a guy. But Yeah, it's basically impossible. It really is. Now... We're coming up on the end of the show, and there's a question that uh, I've been that I ask everyone, and you've probably heard it because you listen to the show. Sure. Top three recommendations for people who want to perform better at life. I don't mean just from Art of Charm. I mean like right, from right. all the stuff you learned. Sure. Um. Well, you know, I thought about a ton of different answers to this, and I figured, okay, I've got this massive laundry list, and if I have to think of the top three, it's going to be really tough. So. I, I don't want to be like all fancy and be like, there's this one unique online tool that you really need. So I, I might be relatively vanilla with this answer, but here's the thing. People always ask me how I am so insanely productive. And part of it is because I have an awesome assistant and stuff like that. But the Amen. other thing is, the other thing is I really stick to my calendar religiously. And I mean, if I sent a screenshot, and, and I could do this if anyone cares, but it's like every 15 minutes of my day from 8 a.m. or 7.30 a.m., because before that I like to have flex time to like wake up, but um, it, everything is scheduled all the way until the end of my day in 15-minute blocks with people's phone numbers. Things start on time. They end on time. People know when that's going to happen. And the reason is because I have – crazy ADHD, it's hard for me to focus if I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing at any given moment. And if I have like a, a phone call that's scheduled, let's say 20 minutes, and it ends in seven because something comes up or we conclude, I go, uh, 13 minutes, uh, Facebook, oh, let's make some more coffee. I mean, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm almost unable to, to organize right on the spot. I'm great at thinking on my feet, but I'm not great at organizing on my feet, if that makes sense. So I knew that was a weakness of mine. And I see that in entrepreneurs all the time. They're like, oh, I got to work on this today. And then they do everything but that. They never eat the proverbial frog. And getting a calendar, putting important things on it and your appointments and sticking to it, where if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't happen. And if it's on the <laughs> calendar, it absolutely happens, will uh, be something that will change your life. I, I love it. I, I, I could not double down more heavily on that one. I, I just... Uh... I was literally complaining to my wife tonight that she didn't put something on my calendar that she wanted me to do. I'm like, if it's not on there, I'm not going to remember. It's tomorrow. Like, for God's sake, tomorrow morning, you want me to remember? Yeah. And it's like, I just go to the calendar. So, yeah, calendar and productivity, I, I love that one. Thanks for saying that. And by the way, no one's ever said that in the entire, like, history of the show. So that was awesome. What are your other two? It's funny because that's such an easy and obvious one, right? And yet <laughs> and yet, it's totally not. Yeah. Um, another thing that, that I think is great, and it's sort of like a – this might not be the greatest tool of all time, but I make a lot of introductions, and usually it's something like this. Hey, can you introduce me to Dave Asprey? Sure. Hi, Dave. I'm CCing my friend Jordan Harbinger. I think he would be a great connection for you, your show, and blah, blah, blah. A little about Dave, a little about Jordan. 
and you read it and you're like, okay, and I really have no real feel for you other than that. I just kind of like ask for that intro and you don't know me from Adam. So I use SoundCloud and I stole this from our mutual friend, Jason Gaynard as well. I use SoundCloud and I record an audio introduction where I'm like, hey, Dave, this is this is Jordan. I want to introduce you to my friend, Sam. You know what? Blah, 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 blah. Here's a little about him, a little about me, because it's it's I don't know what it is. It's a hell of a lot more personal. It's it's a little bit harder to refer to on the fly because it's audio. But you feel like, oh, I'm kind of getting introduced to this person almost like I was right in front of them. And you hear how people describe them in the vocal tonality and some of the nonverbal communication really comes into play that you sort of get a subconscious feel for, oh, this guy, this guy is, gives off a certain vibe. He relates to people in a certain way. So I make intros using SoundCloud instead of just email. And that has resulted, according to people that I've inter- introduced to each other, in just a, a much higher success rate, a much higher hit rate. And honestly, people accept the introductions a lot more when I do it that way. So if you make a lot of introductions, and I think most entrepreneurs do, and most people in general who are kind of just kicking ass at life, they do that. Try it instead of email, try SoundCloud or, or YouTube for that matter. Keep it unlisted or your channel will be super weird. But, um, <laughs> you know, you, you can you can introduce in a much more personal way. And it is awesome. And it really changes the impact that you have on all of those people. And they associate you because it's really hard to go. Oh, yeah. Someone introduced us via email a while back. I don't remember who it was. If they remember your voice, they're like, oh, yeah, Jordan introduced us via SoundCloud. And that was yeah, that was like three years ago. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. And he said that you just got back from Indonesia when I when I when I met you. When was that? Oh, yeah. 2013. Got it. You know, and, and it's such a better way to introduce people. So SoundCloud for introductions is definitely my one of my tops for sure. All right. You got one more left. Um, excellent. So this is another thing that I, I, I think is, has been mandatory just for my sanity. I have an app on my phone called line two, and there's a million different second line apps. Grasshopper is one of them. This is a phone number I can give to anybody. So, you know, I know you probably don't just go, Hey everybody call me on my cell phone. Cause that would be just time management suicide. So you have to think about who you give your number out to. And with this app, I've got line two, you don't ever have to think about it. You go, yeah, here's a number and you can call anytime. And even if they're in Australia, if they call you at four o'clock in the morning, it doesn't matter because it's off at night. It's got hours. It can set hours. You can give it to somebody that you meet once for five minutes. And if they turn out to be a weird stalker person, well, they don't have your cell phone number. They have a line two number that you can turn them off and block. And you can block in your regular iOS too, but you don't want them calling you from different numbers and blah, blah, blah. It's very different. You can text with it. You could turn it off during certain hours. It has a separate voicemail inbox that emails you things. So I can go on vacation, come back, and I've got all of my voicemail emailed to me from that phone number, tons of text messages that I can also check online. And it's become just like literally like having a second phone that all meshes into my one device. And I never have to think about who has my contact info. I never have to think about calling somebody and them having my number and then what. I never have to worry about missing a message or anything like that. And it's cheap. It's like 15 bucks a month. And I think it's like I can get a toll-free number for, I think, like an extra five. And it's amazing. It really will change the way that you communicate with people because you don't have to pre-screen people. You can just let anyone contact you if that's what you want to do. If you're in a sales role or you're running a business, you want that. But damn, you don't want them to have your cell phone number. Nice. Uh, protect the number. Yeah. I, I have a different strategy on that front. Uh, I'm just booked every 15 minutes of every day, just like you. But I'm usually, because I live on an island, I'm almost always on Skype or on the phone. So you're going to call me on my cell phone. You're going to cold call me. It's like, yeah, like, who the like, he- F is this? I'm yeah. not going to, even if I know who you are, like I want to talk to you, but I'm recording a podcast or I'm talking to someone. Right. So it's like, maybe you ought to schedule that call. Yeah. And uh, otherwise, I'm probably not going to do it because I'm either playing with my kids or I'm working or, you know, being a dad, being a husband. So, like, I don't know, I, I guard my time really carefully. And it's yes. not because I'm a jerk. It's just because otherwise, like, there isn't any time. I, I think you're right. I think it does come down to guarding your time. The, the only thing is when you're first starting, I think a lot of people aren't like I had to get time Nazi mode yeah. develop over a few years. It didn't happen right away because when you're first starting, you kind of don't have a choice. If, if somebody who wants to buy something from you 
and you only get that once in a blue moon calls you at 11 p.m. because they're in Australia, you're going to answer it. But here's the thing. It will drive you insane. And if you're married, <laughs> it's going to just ruin your relationship yeah. if you take calls at one o'clock in the morning from bed. And the best way to do that is to not know you're getting a call. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I put the airplane mode on at night. Yeah. And if someone wants to call me, actually, there isn't a way to reach me at night. Like, I'm sorry, I'm asleep. I'll wake up right. and, I, you know, maybe I'll miss an important call. So be I it. got my sleep. <laughs> it was right. worth it. Right. And, and, and you and I can afford to do that, I think. But I think in the beginning yeah. when you have to be uber hustle mode, like things will blow up without you and yeah. burn down and your business is gone. That's not going to happen to you. It's not going to happen to me. But if you are if you're bootstrapping and something crashes and they can't reach you and you've got a demo in the morning, well, dang it, you need your phone on. But you need to have you need to have like circles of trust and stuff like that. And this app kind of helps you nice. make that happen. Awesome. Well, Jordan, thanks for being on the show. It's been fascinating to talk about that other side of high performance, like high performance relationships and just kind of owning your own yeah. behavior, even when you're not aware of it. URL, Facebook, Twitter, like what, what coordinates should people know about so they can learn more about what you're doing at Art of Charm? I think honestly, since you guys are already watching slash listening to a podcast, just check out The Art of Charm in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, if you're one of the rare few who stream from the web, theartofcharmpodcast.com has, you know, our 300 plus hours of, of stuff. And we have an app for Android, an app for iPhone that streams and plays it too. So people can get that a lot of ways. But I'd say like, don't, don't necessarily like, not necessarily like, hey, buy this thing from me. I mean, I've got so much free stuff consume the heck out of the free stuff. And then if it starts changing your life, which it's you know designed to do, then yeah, call me and we'll, we'll think about next steps. But rather than hawk something, go enjoy the free stuff. You're already listening to podcasts. After you get done listening to you know Bulletproof Radio, go check out The Art of Charm. That's pretty much it. Good deal. Thanks, man. Have a good night. You can take your shades off once we you know, turn down the lights. Yeah, I got to do that. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.